0: Big dude's
1: back. All right.
2: Jesus. (laughs) That I
0: 150,000% approve of. That's right, ladies and gentlemen.
1: I am back. I had a great day off visiting some family, but now I'm back with my football family. We got some great games to preview in this episode. We got a crazy bracket time to get into, but you know how we do. We got to start off with some news. And I am joined by two of the most intelligent and insightful NFL commentators on the planet, Bug and Tug. You,
2: you forgot the other, one, uh, the other piece, the two that practice probably the most journalistic integrity along with you.
1: Yes, because we are not Adam Schefter, and that's <laughs> what matters.
3: Brutal. <laughs> Brutal.
1: <laughs> so let's do it. Let's just jump into the news voice. I don't know if this counts or not towards our tradition. There's some Anthony Miller news. (laughs) He used
0: to be on the Bears. You totally could have put a few Bears stories in here. That's why I didn't send any of the information to you earlier. I didn't want to. (laughs) But at the same time, Anthony Miller is in the news. What do you got, Ben? So there were, you know, the three releases that all took place about the same time. Uh, Jalen Smith... Anthony Miller, and uh, completely went blank here. Either way. Have no idea. <laughs> we had three big releases all happen about the same time. And Anthony Miller is probably only a big release because I am a Memphis alum and Memphis fan. Uh, but he has been picked up by the Pittsburgh Steelers following Juju Smith-Schuster uh, having to undergo season-ending shoulder surgery. I, I kind of talked about, you know, I thought maybe this was going to be the end of the line for him. Uh, but there were teams that had a need that needed filled. Pittsburgh made the call, signed him to the practice squad. I imagine he'll probably find his way onto the active roster sooner than later. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see what happens.
2: I think that's a really good fit for him right now, too. It's got the opportunities. Just hopefully Big Ben can start throwing the football again. That would be
1: ideal. For I think, I think the Steelers and would, for the Steelers. Yeah, I think Steelers <laughs> would
0: appreciate Big Ben to start being able to throw the football correctly.
1: In real Bears
0: news, didn't Damian Williams get put on the COVID list? <laughs> yeah. So Ryan Mall, I talked about him a little bit last year. Dude that keeps finding a way to stay on the practice squad, stay a member of the team. He has been called up to the active roster. It's uh, <laughs> it's wild, absolutely wild, and. It, COVID's kind of sneaking its head back in. The Cardinals have a, about four players out with it. Uh there are a couple other teams I saw that had two or three apiece as well. So man, I thought we were past this, you know, going on into week six. I thought, man, we really turned a corner here. We're not gonna have to deal with it. Not gonna have to hear stories about COVID in the uh in the news again, but here we are.
1: Yeah, no, we don't have any word on who those Cardinals players are. But that's where I was heading next for sure. That it's a big story, especially with a huge matchup against the Browns coming up this weekend, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But right now, we're still talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. This Gruden
3: story just keeps on giving, huh?
2: It does. It
3: does. I honestly.
0: It's crazy to me that this is still going on and that this continues to develop. I mean, there's been a story about Adam Schefter come out uh, that's kind of linked to all this as well. Washington, you know, all this kind of comes from Washington football email, Washington football team emails uh, in this investigation into Dan Snyder. Man, Gruden's being removed from the Tampa Bay Ring of Honor after all this stuff that's gone down. Everybody's trying to really distance themselves. And his employer at the time is still being very obviously and unignorably quiet. And I'm talking about ESPN. There's no way that they didn't know this stuff was happening. And how they're kind of just skating by trying to make sure people aren't talking about them about it too much is absolutely disgusting.
2: I, I don't necessarily believe that they knew it was going on when this was happening. That's there's no way you got to think of how many emails come through ESPN's email servers like on a daily basis there's no way they're flagging them uh should they be maybe but i i believe there's some plausible deniability there that being said listen to them talk about how the raiders are handling this about John Gruden's actions when he was an ESPN employee still blows my mind um man there's I think we found out this week, too, this is only the tip of the iceberg, and there's going to be a lot more fallout with this coming down the line. I'm not even
0: talking about them not doing anything about it as it happened. I'm more saying there's no way this was the only—like, there's no way nobody knew, and nobody made it an issue then, which only makes a lot of people's argument that this happened so long ago. Why are we bringing it up now that much worse? Because it was so far in the past. And I'm not saying that makes it right. I'm not trying to excuse it. But man, all of a sudden, it's coming up now. It's just something Something is definitely not right.
2: It's just not sitting well with me in all of this, I guess. This is a bigger issue at ESPN, too, because there's always been questions about journalistic integrity. Like I said, we've questioned some of Mel Kuyper's rankings based on the knowledge that's kind of out there that – he will, you know, adjust his rankings based on which agents he's friends with and who he supports. But then we get the news coming out this week about Adam Schefter uh, sending an entire article over to Bruce Allen asking for his more or less approval to publish it as is without making any adjustments. And that's just, that's insane. So ESPN's definitely going to be facing some hot water here coming up.
1: Speaking of one of Gruden's former employers here, the Raiders have promoted special teams coordinator Rich, last name, um, <laughs> to the interim head coaching position, which, man, I have no idea how to pronounce this last name. Basakia
2: Bis- Sure. Basakia I don't know. Good enough for Ball- me. Balsakia, yes. Rich Balsakia. <laughs> Here we go, boys. Might
1: be a little um,
0: little much there.
1: Um. Oh, yeah. We didn't do
2: it in email, so it's okay. <laughs> Jesus.
1: So, uh, really, you got to think for the head coaching job, the permanent one. It will come down to him, Eric Bieniemy, Byron Leftwich, Kellen Moore. They seem to like offensive guys, so you have to think along those lines.
2: I wonder right? if the Eric Bieniemy this is kind of the situation he's been waiting for. This is a put together team. I almost said it the second Gruden got fired. Like he has to be the favorite coming into this, but there's a caveat to it about why he not. And it's the NF why he might not. And it's the NFL's new policy where if you hire a minority head coach, the team that groomed him for lack of a better term gets a third round compensatory pick. Do you really think the Raiders want to give the chiefs a third round compensatory pick for a head coach? I don't know, but that is something to keep in mind as we go through this.
1: It sure would make Mark Davis look better after just hiring this racist misogynist, though, right? That's
2: also valid, but there's other minority head coaches. Byron left, which is a fantastic example. Like, without helping out your division rival, you can still hire minority head coaches.
0: (sighs) It really puts the Raiders in a bind, right? Like there's, oh, yeah. <laughs> that is, this is a very tough spot. I hadn't really thought about that too much. I, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm even hearing that they might go after Mike Davis. He might somehow be wrapped up in this with different things. I don't know. It's This is far from over. This is very far from over.
2: Mike Mayock's probably definitely involved somehow, too, because he was also at ESPN <laughs> at that same time frame.
1: Um yeah. was he at ESPN or was he
2: at NFL Network yet? He wouldn't have uh, been there yet, right? No, I think th- I think he was at ESPN doing I think you're probably right. Draft pro- draft pro stuff. Doing Adam Schechter stuff. Yeah, basically actually. Yeah.
1: With integrity. Uh, back to the yeah, football team. Maybe we don't know yet. Cuz we can't just just can't stop talking about Washington at this point. Um things are definitely rotten. In the District of Columbia. At the same time as all this is going on, they are retiring Sean Taylor's number, which is great. Love that. What timing, huh?
2: (laughs) They they needed to at this point. They absolutely needed to. You've got your entire training staff under investigation for drugs (laughs) on the federal level. You've got your owner who's apparently... A really Tra- bad dude, trading topless photos of his cheerleaders with John Gruden. Like, I, I don't even know how to react to this. Like, you can't make this up. Hey, we have all of this bad stuff going on. Who is that guy? Sean Taylor. Let's retire his number. Like, this. Oh, how has he not had to sell his team yet? That's the question. You know, uh, I guess
1: he's a really good time at the owner's meetings.
3: Because
2: <laughs> the Texans walked Bill uh, Bob McNair out of Houston so quickly. And here's Dan Schneider. you have Dan that, much money, you have that much money, I guess something... half, A year and a half later still chilling. like.
1: Right. I'm just waiting for Jeff Bezos to buy him. Because that he's an Amazon's.
2: He wants Denver.
1: I mean, who cares what he wants? He can move. Can <laughs> move the
3: team <laughs> if
1: he cares that deeply. That's fair. Not like he doesn't have the money for it.
2: <laughs> Valid.
1: But we had a another great story to end on here that fortunately doesn't involve Washington or John Gruden or ESPN or whatever. Uh, some good things happened, and we want to talk about good things on occasion. It's usually more fun for us.
2: <laughs> I, I can't let this go without bringing you up. Some good thing happened on ESPN's Monday Night Football. I had to loop it back. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> I mean, fair. That's yeah, it's very fair. I, You you guys cool if I take this one since I've been the naysayer and I need to uh, execute? A for sins. Yeah, I need to atone for my sins. Go for it, all you. All right, the world's greatest running back that can throw has now proven that he's a quarterback that can run. (laughs) I did that just for the reaction. I appreciate you guys. Now, for real, Lamar Jackson, I've said it before, he actually is a really good quarterback, uh, and he came out and literally took away any doubts anybody had about him being an elite QB on Monday Night Football. Uh, Set the Ravens franchise record for passing yards in a single game at 442 was previously 429. He led the third biggest comeback in Ravens history, uh, down by 19 points. Uh, the largest was 21 in 2011. Uh, 86% completion rate, highest by an NFL quarterback who's attempted over 40 passes. Uh, he went 37 for 43. Uh, First NFL player with 400 passing yards and an 85% completion rate in a game. And first NFL quarterback with 400 yards, forward passing touchdowns, no interceptions, and 50 yards on the ground. There is nothing this dude did not do in this game except break 100 yards rushing, which I'm not going to fault him for because he didn't need to.
1: Hey, he did not complete a pass to himself. You know, that's that's fair.
2: That's fair.
1: Now, (laughs) that was Brett Favre's first completion. So Lamar Jackson needs to step it up.
2: So, to Lamar Jackson, man, I apologize for ever doubting you, buddy.
1: <laughs> what a what a great comeback story for Tug there.
0: <laughs> it was it was really one of the most amazing games, uh, really by any quarterback ever. Man,
1: I last time I saw some good quarterbacking like that was Johnny Manziel against Alabama. <laughs> We'll get to that in a little bit. Don't you worry. I was going to say,
2: we'll get that later.
1: But I think we have some non-NFL news to get here. And uh, I want to kick this one off because I heard in Birmingham, they love their football.
0: Ooh, ooh, ooh. (laughs) Wow.
1: Sweet home Alabama reference. Anyway,
0: go ahead, Ben. So... We've talked about it a little bit that the USFL, all of their trademarks have been purchased, and it's it's the same guy that's really been integral to the spring league. Well, they have made a proposal that for the twenty twenty two season, they want it to be played in Birmingham, Alabama, in their new stadium, not at the Iron Bowl, in the new stadium that UAB has been playing in. Have a ten week season, four team playoff, eight teams total and it would run from April 15th to about July 3rd. Players will be just housed in hotels in Birmingham for the season. That sounds kind of rough, but if it works out, no big deal, right? Like I've said several times, my suspicion is that this is a rebranding of the Spring League. And honestly, this is looking more and more likely that that's what it is because the USFL name is going to get people's eyes on it more than TSL would ever draw people in, right? Even if if it is, if it isn't, I would 100% go to a game or two out there. Let's say the new stadium in Birmingham looks beautiful. Birmingham's a great football city, and I think this league probably has a lot of potential that people aren't going to give it credit for. I will say though, if this is not going to be an addition, if this is not going to be what the spring league becomes, if this is going to be league number three in the spring between of 100 yard football between the spring league, this USFL and the XFL. One of these leagues is going to suffer a lot because the talent pool is going to start to dry up. I do think one, maybe two spring leagues could be successful and entertaining three. I think you're really starting to spread yourself too thin. And I I just wonder if eventually the idea of doing like a, a massive merger of everything would be better in the long run.
1: Well, let's not forget the best league of all out there, the FCF,
0: the FCF. I've been looking for more and more stuff. About the fan council, about the upcoming season. I just, the stores just aren't there right now.
1: Well, I hope they get out there soon because that's the one I'm looking forward to the most out of any of these TSL and USFL. You got to earn my trust a little bit. Let's get a good product out
0: there, right? Absolutely. And I think the Spring League made a lot of leaps and bounds but there wasn't anything that made me want to tune in weekly, I guess. And that's that's kind of a shame. Marketing on their part maybe a little bit. I don't know. It just there wasn't there wasn't a ton that made me want to watch the Spring League.
2: It might be that they pay their players nothing.
0: Yeah, essentially their players are are paying to be there and get a shot to get more film, more reps. Not the best business model if you if you're all about the players getting paid their fair share.
2: <laughs> cool, all right, I'm going to bring us over to college football news, and as we have discussed, Alabama was upset uh, in what's coming almost a biannual tradition in the SEC. Uh, Alabama was upset at on the road, and Alabama's radio announcer had gone completely silent. As the after the final play of the game, uh, as the kick went through. Last thing he had said was, what happens? Then all of a sudden, there was nothing. And then the first thing he brought up was about how A&M would be fined, which, man, if that's all you can say rather than say, hey, Texas a and played a good game, I have issues with you. But that made me look into it a little bit more. How many teams in the SEC have not been fined for storming the field? Gentlemen, I am here to tell you that there is – all of four schools that do not have fun in the SEC. Uh, three of them are your usual suspects. Uh, Alabama, Florida, Georgia. Then, Ben, you'd appreciate this one. The other one that doesn't allow their, their students to have fun is Mississippi State. But yeah, I, but they let them
0: take the bells off of their girlfriends and bring them into the stadium to ring, so it's fine.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just You can't storm the field.
0: <laughs> so that, that
3: You'd never heard that, that Doug?
2: that made me me dig into everything a little bit more looking at specifically just the schools that have been fined for storming the field against alabama this has happened five times since 2013 in 2013 it was auburn in 2014 it was Ole miss 2017 it was auburn in 2019 it was auburn and in 2021 we have texas a&m like i said this is becoming a biannual tradition where somebody just gets fined for storming the field against alabama and what i'm here to (laughs) tell you is Guys, just keep doing you. This is fantastic, and I love everything about it. I'm kind of hoping for Auburn in 2021 here.
1: <laughs> that would be fantastic. Let's knock Alabama out of the playoff. Oh, boy. We can I all dream, but I can't tell you that your dream is necessarily going to come true. Well, you know, that's probably the best way to get Cincinnati in, so let's, let's dream together.
3: <laughs> okay,
1: fair enough. Fair enough. Speaking of Cincinnati, we got a story involving the American Conference here. Uh, this is a weird one. So, as we all know by this point, the American is losing three schools to the Big 12. Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are all heading out there. And Conference USA is kind of a little bit scared of what's going to happen here because the American's... I'm sure gonna be looking to reload at least two teams, right, because they would want to get back up to ten and be able to have a conference championship still, which is that's now the minimum required teams. It used to be twelve, but the big twelve didn't have enough that teams for the, right so ironically need, the the twelve didn't have twelve teams right. So now you need 10 to have a conference championship game, and the American won't have that. They'll have eight after these three teams leave. They've been looking into the possibilities of adding. The ones I've heard the most are UAB and UTSA, both of which are in Conference USA currently. Uh, Also potentially Southern Miss, but Southern Miss has been terrible for the last, like, 15 years. So good luck there. Conference USA in what's probably a little bit of self-preservation mode, sent a letter to the American saying, hey, why don't we just kind of join forces here? Why don't we redivide ourselves, make a little bit more geographic sense, and (laughs) we can all live happily, peacefully together in our own little corners of the world. I kind of get it, right? I mean, Old Dominion... Certainly fits East Carolina and Temple better than, you know, adding UTSA would. And SMU playing UTSA makes a lot more sense than traveling all the way up to Navy. At the same time, this would
0: really dilute the American Conference. But I I think... I think one thing you're missing here a little bit is the fact that it's Conference USA and the American Athletic Conference that want to have this kind of partnership and merger. Well, CUSA wants to have it. I don't know if the American does. I I think they're probably going to get desperate because like you talked about, we need 10 teams for a conference championship for both of these conferences, right? We've talked about it on the show before too. The implications of all these teams moving is much bigger than football. Memphis especially being a, a basketball school even now is still Memphis is still primarily a basketball school if the american can't get them an automatic bid there's no way they're going to be happy and they're going to be looking to get out at all costs so with all the moves that are happening i think the american honestly is going to want to listen to this pretty closely because they from the the proposal that we were looking at earlier the american gains some good teams loses a couple that have potential I think they do ultimately still come out ahead in the end when you go th- break down all the different realignments and everything.
1: I don't know. It's certainly hard to say who comes out on top of that, honestly. The CUSA still existing feels like a good thing for them in yeah. this scenario.
0: <laughs> That's a win for them. UAB
1: and, is UTSA, out on top. UAB and UTSA would be stupid if they didn't look at joining the American on their own if this didn't happen, right? I mean, it's theoretically possible that some more American teams leave. I don't know where they would go at this point. So, man, I another thing that I found very interesting in this is that the Sun Belt wasn't included. That was another speculation about a week ago. But, you know, the Sun Belt and CUSA haven't been getting along, so...
0: Is the Sun Belt <laughs> losing anybody, though? Like, do they have any reason to want no. to do this? I, I I think the other thing, too, that we're missing here is, when talking about the Sun Belt specifically, I don't see any reason for any of those teams to want to go to the American. I could definitely see Conference USA teams wanting to jump up to the American, and I do mean jump up. Right. Because the American, like, the teams that are leaving, Cincinnati, UCF, they've helped build a name For the American Athletic Conference, that CUSA has never had and will never have, the Sun Belt has built a name for itself with their own teams. I don't know anybody that's going to want to. It's a pretty lateral move, and it's definitely a step down if they go to CUSA. Yes, this is a self-preservation tactic by Conference USA, but I could see the American definitely being interested, especially if they, you know, the proposal we saw they would get UAB and UTSA, and they'd get to, you know, cut off ECU. I would jump all over that all day long.
2: I'm just gonna go ahead and say I've never appreciated my school's conference just being out on its own island, lonesome in the west. But uh, I kind of appreciate it right now because no one's coming. <laughs> I mean, the American tried to, and they were all like, "Eh, that's a lot of travel." I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with no dog.
1: I mean, if they guaranteed that Navy and Army were coming too, I bet Air that's... Force would have jumped on board it... in a heartbeat.
2: I. I but, still think Air Force wanted to they just didn't want to go alone which is which understandable.
1: Is understandable and Colorado State did not deserve that invite. So
2: No, Colorado State got the turned bonus down in, already too. Right. Colorado State got the bonus invite because they invited because Air Force to come alone. Yeah, exactly.
0: I and I don't know anybody else that would make sense in the Mountain West to move over. They they picked the three closest teams to kind of where the line for conference you or for the American Athletic Conference starts. Right. I mean even Thanks. even from Dallas, the like the Academy
2: and Colorado State are long hauls. And that's they their do. closest opponent. Don't forget they also invited um San Diego State too. That's further away. I, no, I you said they invited the three closest, but they also tacked on San Diego State as well.
1: Well they were considering inviting San Diego State. I don't know if that was ever yeah, official. Fair. I know for sure that Air Force and Colorado State were offered. Boise State, I think, turned them down before the offer was ever sent out, E-2. So, crazy times here. Uh, one other piece I think is going to be very interesting to watch is what happens to Liberty, because they are recent members of the FBS coming up from Division Two not that long ago. And they've been looking to join a conference here. Nobody has really... Welcomed them in. CUSA was looking kind of likely. But man, if the American gets at Liberty, I don't think that's too much of a reach for the American. And it certainly feels like a good promotion for Liberty. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, That's a a thought. Uh, Actually, Liberty is in the A Sun for most everything, which is going to complicate things because they're the A Sun is about to start sponsoring FCS football starting next season. So I think
0: that's definitely a uh, that would point to me thinking that Liberty would want to get out of that conference. Exactly, which is another another point why they're looking for a conference right now. Yeah.
1: But CUSA hasn't offered them. The Sun Belt doesn't seem like they will. They have the no American reason to. I was
2: gonna say the American could probably make that offer within the next, you know, by the end of the season, and Liberty would accept it for next season and pay the the buyout fee of you know peanuts to ASUN. They should.
3: That'd be. That would
2: make sense.
1: There aren't too many independents left in the world, so. This isn't the 80s anymore, where we have like Miami, Florida as an independent. Right. We have some games to watch this weekend. Why don't you kick us off, Bug?
0: Yeah, sounds good to me. So last week I took a uh, a ranked matchup of FCS opponents. And this week uh, I'm just going to take an SEC game because it just means more, right? AP number five, Alabama, going down to Starksville, Mississippi. Starkville, Mississippi to take on Mississippi State. I honestly don't know what's going to happen in this one, which is kind of why I want to watch it. There's really two ways this goes down. Bama blows Mississippi State out of the water, or Mississippi State squeaks out a close one. There's no way that it goes any other way. Like, Mississippi State is not going to blow out Bama by any means. Where I think they have the best chance is that Bama has looked vulnerable for the past couple weeks. If they can exploit those vulnerabilities and keep the game close – Mississippi State will have a shot. If they can't do that, Alabama's going to roll to another victory. Wow.
1: If they do well, they might win. If they don't do well, they might not win. Incredible. Yeah,
0: it's kind of how games go, typically. I know. <laughs> this is why you come to Big Dudes in the Trenches for that excellent expert
2: analysis.
1: It It is really, truly excellent, yes.
2: <laughs> hey, I'm going to take the next one and stay in the SEC here because, like, Like Bug said, it it just means more. But it means even more when you get the BDT number six, University of Kentucky, traveling down to BDT number one, University of Georgia. Man, Kentucky has been a pleasant surprise all season, and this is going to be a telling game for both, you know, Georgia and Kentucky. Typically, these are the trap games that Georgia falls for every year. You've got two high-powered offenses. You've got a stellar defense out there in Georgia. Um... It's going to be very interesting. More importantly, the winner of this game likely wins the SEC East. So that just adds a little bit more to the intrigue here.
1: Question for you, Tug. Yeah. Have you watched Kentucky play football this year?
2: Yeah. They got to be doing
1: something good. Because I would definitely not classify their offense as high
2: powered. I thought more of not classifying Georgia's as high powered because it's more the defense there, but you know,
1: you get also the point. more the defense in Kentucky.
2: Fantastic, classic SEC battle, all defenses. Here we go. And that offensive line
1: for Kentucky would make you very proud. So I'm legit asking you probably should watch more Kentucky this year. They're gonna okay. get blown out in this game because that's what Georgia's <laughs> been doing to people. But after this one, you're like go check them out against like South Carolina or something. It should be a good time. Some good offensive linemen there.
2: <laughs> really what I'm watching for here is, like I said, this is typically the type of game that Georgia drops for no reason. It's a trap game for him. It's always an SEC East opponent for no reason. Um, and this, this is going to be telling if they truly are the contenders that we think they are. See,
1: you say that, but now Kentucky's ranked number 11. The kind of game Georgia will, will drop is when they go into a game Against, you know, South
2: Carolina, almost every South year Carolina,
1: or, you know, they're going to win by two points against the Citadel for some reason, make it a nail biter.
3: <laughs>
1: That's what Georgia does.
3: Didn't <laughs> do it against more.
1: Arkansas, though. Right. Just means more. Uh, I'm not doing an SEC game. Because I already picked one of those this year, and I still feel bad about it. So I'm going <laughs> basically taking a shower this week with an ACC game here.
0: Are you uh, taking a shower and shit?
3: No,
1: I'm taking a shower in second place. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: so because yeah, this. So a
0: shower in number two. Got it. <laughs>
1: I know what I said, so this really is a battle for second place in the division, which is wild, because first place is Wake Forest, and third place is going to be Clemson, (laughs) so what, Uh, I'm talking about NC State traveling up to Boston College, man, this is what a weird year for the ACC, for many, many reasons, not the least of which is how good both these teams have looked. NC State and Boston College have both, at certain moments through the season, looked like playoff contenders. Most of the season, they have looked like mediocre teams. (laughs) So if one of them can put it all together for more time than they don't, this will be (laughs) a great game. (laughs) That's asking a lot, though. We'll have to see what happens. I generally like what Boston College is doing this year. It really hurt when Phil Yurkovich went down. Uh, NC State does basically the same stuff as Boston College, though. This is wild. It's like one of the most close matchups on paper you could ever imagine. Both offense and defensively, they do basically the same exact thing to everybody.
0: Well, and I think Boston College has surprised a lot of people this year. I think North Carolina State has surprised a lot of people this year. I think it's going to be a great game. I don't really know how to pick it, but it's going to be a great game either way. What's even more surprising out of the ACC,
1: though, is Wake Forest. Jeez. Max. Who saw that one coming, right? I don't even think the starting quarterback's mama saw that coming.
0: The losing streak is officially over. Memphis has beat navy thirty-five to seventeen. Hey, good job. I can focus a little bit more now. Even a
2: blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while.
1: I'll take it. A blind squirrel busts a nut every once in a while. Two more wins (laughs) the whole eligibility. Hey, that's what it takes. So we are going to make our picks now because it's what we do. And we're all very close. So maybe (laughs) I might not want to rock the boat too much this week. I don't know. it would be tough. Uh, Who wants to start us off with the picks?
2: I'll kick us off here. All right, Ben. So you said there's one of two ways this Bama State game goes. Um, I just want to remind everybody that Alabama just effectively got embarrassed in their eyes on national TV in primetime. I fear... For what is about to happen to Mississippi State, it's not going to be fair. Uh, I can tell you this is probably the hardest week of practice that uh, Bama has had all year, even probably worse than summer workouts. Um, this is the get right game for Bama, and it's they never you never want to play them after after they have a loss, especially a loss like that. Uh, so I'm taking Bama in that game. Uh, Doug, you're right. NC State, BC, they are very similar. So I got to look for the differentiating factor there. I'm going to take the Eagles and Chestnut Hill at home. Uh, BC having the home game is going to be a slight advantage there. Uh, It's where they pulled it out against Mizzou, and I can see them do it against NC State here. And then you already said it. Yeah, I think Georgia's legit, so I'm expecting them to win this game, and I've got them winning it.
0: So I'll go next because I disagree with you that this is a lock for Alabama. For one very big reason, and that is that this game is taking place in Starkville, Mississippi. The atmosphere there is going to be tough to play against. The fans are going to be jacked up for this game. Mississippi State's going to be jacked up for this game, too, because you think they don't know that Alabama's probably had the worst week of practice they've ever had since Nick Saban's been there. I'm going to give Mississippi State a slight edge here. Because they're playing at home, if this game was in Alabama, it'd be Crimson Tide all day. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Having to go on the road two weeks in a row might make things a little bit tougher for Alabama to get out of the funk that they've been in, uh, really, most of the season here. Uh, I am also going to go with Boston College, though. I just like more about this offense than I do about North Carolina State and their offense and defense, for that matter. I don't know. I, I think Boston College has kind of been on a run. They've had a few hiccups, yeah. I mean, they're not undefeated, but I think they'll pull this one out. And then Georgia, you know, if this game was on the road, I'd still take Georgia. I wouldn't apply the same logic here because this is the best defense in college football. Defense travels, but guess what? They don't have to travel. There's, there's playing in Athens this week. I've got to give it to Uga.
1: The BDT trench ratings disagree with you that Georgia is the best defense in college football. But you guys subscribe to the Patreon to find out who our number one is because it's interesting for sure. By that same logic, Boston College and NC State is one of the closest matchups we've had all season, like legitimately on paper, these offenses and defenses. And overall, these teams are ranked so close together that it's really hard to pick against the home team. At the same time, Phil Yurkovich is out, and so I'm going to pick against the home team because that backup quarterback is trash. If you guys watched the Clemson game, you will know what I'm talking about. That dude cannot throw the ball to save his life. Oof. <laughs> so I'm going to pick NC State. <laughs>
3: I'm
1: also going to pick Alabama because, uh, no, Mississippi State is trash. And Alabama's not trash. They're not the world beaters that they were, of you know, every year for the past 10 years. They are not trash. Mississippi State is trash. They will lose. And
2: <laughs> Thank you for the lesson on trash versus not trash. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That's the hard-hitting commentary you get on BDT football. And
1: last pick there, yeah, we're all picking Georgia for a very good reason. Georgia's better. The Here's the thing. I love the story of Kentucky this year. It's fantastic. What Mark Stoops has been doing for the past several seasons now is very impressive to me. The fact that he has Kentucky as a relevant football program is just insane. They gave up on football in the seventies. So to have them back is really cool. I love it. At the same time, Georgia is better in every way. It's also at Georgia. No. I mean, it's a fun story. Georgia's gonna win. <laughs>
2: What do we got for bonus games there, Doug?
1: We have probably some closer games than Kentucky, Georgia. Let's be real. (laughs) First up is Oklahoma State at Texas. Not quite the Red River rivalry, but this one might be called like the Orange Logo rivalry. We got to come up with something for it.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. No.
1: (laughs) Oklahoma State, Texas. Ought to be a pretty great game. Oklahoma State is still undefeated. Texas has got to be the best two-loss team in the country right now. They did not deserve to lose last week. Just rivalry got the better of them. That and atmosphere I, happened.
2: OU has not deserved any of their wins this year.
1: So, Well, that's kind of what I'm saying, though, Texas. Texas is better than four and two would indicate. So this game is probably going to be very good. Also looking at Auburn at Arkansas, I want to see if Arkansas can bounce back. You know, they have two losses now. Everything's still ahead of them, right? I mean, they can't compete for a national championship this year. Nobody expected them to. If they can make a real high-profile bowl game, though, that would do wonders for this program. Put them on the map as legitimately being back in football contention. That would be fantastic for them. But they need to win games like this. Where they're supposed to win at home, you got to start winning these games, right? Be interesting to see how they hold up. Uh, number nineteen BYU going to Baylor. I also have highlighted should be pretty interesting. Again, can BYU bounce back, right? This is on the road, and it's a pretty dang good Baylor team. A little bit of a Big Twelve preview to BYU joining the Big Twelve shortly. Pitt at Virginia Tech got two undefeated. In conference ACC teams, not undefeated overall, but undefeated in the conference, matching up on the other division from the one that I was just highlighting NC State and Boston College. Uh, Pitt, his, their quarterback, is getting some Heisman hype. And if you want to keep that up, you better start winning some real games here. So here's the start of your real conference slate. Let's get rolling. And then the last one I have highlighted for the FBS is Air Force at Boise State. This feels like it's usually the decider of the Mountain Division. So (laughs) we'll see how that goes. Air Force has been playing a lot better than Boise State so far. But with that win over BYU, maybe Boise State's saying, hey, we're back, and we're going to finish out this season real strong. So it should be a pretty interesting one up in Idaho.
0: I will say, and this is backtracking a little bit, so I do apologize for that, but as far as the Pitt-Virginia Tech game goes, we've been talking about Justin Fuente, seats hot, Justin Fuente, seats hot. This is really going to start to be the actual real determining factor, in my opinion, opening up conference play in a year that Virginia Tech absolutely should be in contention for the championship game, if not the championship itself. This is the this is the real start of the road to it. Kind of shaky in non-conference play, lose a close one at home to Notre Dame. I think all of that can be forgiven if they make a run here in conference play.
2: Yeah, and I just want to make a comment on the Auburn Arkansas game here. Doug, you already said it that, you know, getting themselves into an early or into a high-profile bowl game could be huge for the program. Weekends like this bringing Auburn into uh, into Arkansas can be big because whether or not Auburn is a top team in the nation, they are still a high-profile program, which means Arkansas has a bunch of recruits coming this weekend, both on official and unofficial visits. A statement win here gets you recruits. Uh, that That's the type of weekend this is. Um, and then Air Force at Boise State, yeah, Doug, you hit the nail on the head there. It's always 100% kind of the determining factor for the uh, Mountain Division. Ironically, Colorado State is in the lead for the Mountain Division right now at one and zero in conference play. Air Force is two and one. Uh, Utah State, Boise State are both one and one. So even if Air Force wins this one, they're going to need some help from uh, Utah State dropping another game or two in, in the conference. But uh, it's a a big game, that's for sure.
1: Is that Colorado State's only win this year? Because that would uh, make no, sense. They,
2: they are two and three.
1: Oh boy. Real powerhouses out there.
2: They beat Toledo. <laughs> oh, and they man. Beat San, and San Jose State.
1: Just two giant slayers of programs right there. Could Colorado. not be the
2: Jackrabbits, unlike uh, SIU. <laughs> man.
1: So what we're saying is Colorado State would not be in the FCS 1225.
2: No, correct. mm
1: <laughs> Speaking of the FCS, by the way, what a transition. We have a couple of bonus games out there as well. You know, as we've been talking about these past several weeks, the FCS has some great football. It's always a good time. If you haven't watched an FCS game, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Because, man, some of these games are incredible. The atmospheres are always hype as hell. So And
2: the list... Is- In the listener's defense, you've told us the same story about Pac-12 games.
1: And am I wrong? The atmosphere is always hype. The football is, like, not bad.
2: (laughs) You have already adjusted that argument for the Pac-12, and I love it.
1: (laughs) Anyway, uh, number 22, North Dakota, is heading to number 4, SIU, this weekend. The Salukis looking to... Get a little bit of a streak going here. Pretty sweet. North Dakota coming to town. They were ranked very highly to start the season, but a couple of losses now in conference. South Dakota is right there with them. Number 21. They're heading to number 16, Northern Iowa, this weekend. The old old beer can in the field. That That stadium looks wild, and inside it gets even wilder. That atmosphere is something else. It's crazy about... to
0: me how many FCS schools have domes. Because, I mean, a lot of them are in cold, awful places nobody wants to play a football outside in. But, man, that dome at UNI is something else.
1: <laughs> Nichols at number 18, Incarnate Word. Should be a pretty good game. I, You know me, I'm a big Cameron Ward fan, so anytime I can watch him light up a like top 30 team in Nichols, they're right around the top 25. It should be pretty fun. Uh you know, VMI at Mercer. I know Mercer is one of Alabama's perennial... You know, Punching bags. ...stipend games.
2: <laughs> Punching bags.
1: Uh, practice sessions. Uh, <laughs> but Mercer is actually a pretty good FCS team when they're competing against other FCS teams. Not really fair to compare them to FBS national champions. So, you know... They are what they are. VMI heading to town should be a pretty good one. And then Eastern Kentucky at Central Arkansas. Very interesting that this would be as high-profile a matchup as it is because neither of these teams have a history of being that amazing. At the same time, they're both pretty solid this season, and Eastern Kentucky's offense against that Central Arkansas defense should be a very exciting game.
0: I mean, we, we've we got two Missouri Valley Conference games on here. It's pretty obvious how good we think the Missouri Valley Conference is, and there are two ranked matchups this week, so we're apparently not the only ones. Nichols, UIW, that's going to be a great game in San Antonio. And uh, v, as far as VMI and Mercer go, the, what really catches my eyes, VMI has really been able to stay in the conversation Uh from last year leading into this year, or or I should say this spring, you know, everybody – it's still a big deal that they won their first ever conference championship. But they did it in a COVID-shortened, really weird spring season. But they're able to keep up the success and stay in the spotlight, stay relevant. It's absolutely worth giving a look. And, yeah, Eastern Kentucky and Central Arkansas – very weird to see this matchup on here, but two teams that are finally showing some promise and doing something. It's great that we're highlighting them.
2: Yeah, you guys said it all. I have nothing more to add to it. What it's do you say we goal.
0: move on? Yeah,
2: you also don't watch the FCS, so that's. <laughs> uh,
0: but what do you anyway. say we move on to uh, players to watch here? Uh, Go for it. You want to take it first? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we talked a little bit about Auburn and Arkansas, and I'm actually going with K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback from Arkansas. Last week, he by himself pretty much kept the Razorbacks in that game against Ole Miss. He had a little help from the running back, rushed for over 139 yards, but the heart that K.J. Jefferson showed, win or lose, if you were – thinking about going to Arkansas after that game and you had had a visit planned for this week, you got to be excited. You got to want to go talk to that dude, talk to some of the other guys on the team because KJ Jefferson is absolutely the heart and soul of this team and somebody I would want to play with. Not to mention Sam Pittman has turned this team around so much. I know I'm talking about KJ Jefferson here, but Arkansas really is on the right track for the first time
2: really that I can remember. And it starts with KJ Jefferson. Cool. I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to take a defensive player here, and it's really weird because I'm taking a defensive player out of the big 12. Uh, Nick Bonetto, the linebacker out of Oklahoma. Uh, Honestly, he came into the season. Everyone was expecting more out of him, and he just has not lived up to that hype coming uh, coming into the season. He's only got 15 total tackles. He does have four sacks within that uh, within that tackle count. But honestly, I'm looking for him to make a big step forward here. If if Oklahoma is going to start making a push and solidifying themselves, making statement wins, it's going to start with that defense and it's going to start with him. So I'm looking for him to take a step forward against TCU here. I would say four
1: sacks is pretty impressive. I only have one. I it never hate gets you. old.
3: It never gets old.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My player to watch is a quarterback, which is unusual for me. I don't normally do that. But here's the deal his quarterback is out of the FCS, and it's not Cameron Ward. So wild. I know I'm branching out hard. Cole Kelly, quarterback for Southeastern Louisiana, is an absolute monster, literally and figuratively. I'm talking about a six foot seven, 260 pound quarterback who throws the ball
0: like nobody's business.
2: Jesus Christ. That's a he lineman makes, that throws the football.
0: Yeah, he makes some of his linemen look small. It is amazing watching this dude play football.
2: My dude, I'm telling him to hand off and then using him as my lead blocker.
3: <laughs>
1: I think they've done that. <laughs> I do too, actually. Um, so here's the deal he originally committed to Arkansas back in the olden days when Arkansas was garbage at football. Cole Kelly, didn't even really see the field that much, he transferred to Southeastern Louisiana because, as part of the rule not too long ago, you didn't have to sit out if you transferred down to FCS. So he wanted to start right away. He found a program where he could start in SLU. And has been just obliterating stat sheets ever since getting that first opportunity to start down there at Southeastern Louisiana. This man has already won a Walter Payton Award, basically the FCS Heisman, for the spring season. And he's had just had his best game ever last week. Career highs and passing touchdowns and total touchdowns, 5 and 7 respectively against what was formerly a top-25 Nichols team. So this dude is amazing. He's also completing, like, 74% of his passes, has a 3-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. Why nobody's talking about this guy, I have no idea, because this dude needs to be on NFL draft radars. If you have larger Ben, bigger Ben,
0: I would be all for it. Super Ben. <laughs> the guy that looks like he ate Ben. If, like it,
1: if if you're calling Ben Roethlisberger Big Ben, this dude is Sears Tower. I mean,
2: come oh, it's, on.
0: Yeah. It's insane. He is <laughs>
2: the The first
0: <laughs> Khalifa. The worst the I don't want to say the worst part. The craziest thing is he can move too. Like he you would expect a guy of his size at 260. To just kind of be a pocket passer, can't really move around too much. No, no, that is not the case. He's just as much a threat to run the ball as he is to pass the ball. What do you? And well,
2: he's he's massive. What are you going to do to stop? He him? is rumbling. That's, he is stumbling, down, stumbling down the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Is just by physics alone, I don't know if there's anybody in the NFL that can stop him because once the man gets moving, like the momentum he carries, just based on his speed, is going to be insane. He's bigger than Derrick Henry.
1: According to Tug's coaching philosophy, you'd probably tell this man to fall on fumbles.
2: <laughs> Instead, <laughs> yeah.
1: he's like guys up.
2: Fat guys fall on fumbles. That is, yes.
1: He's also playing Houston Baptist this week, and Houston Baptist is really bad this year. So just wait for Cole Kelly to light it up and be set by halftime. If you want to catch some Cole Kelly action, you got to tune in early.
2: I don't it's... think anybody on defense wants to catch some Cole Kelly action. That is just <laughs> a scary thought.
1: That's enough college stuff. We got all sorts of wild things happening in college, but we have stuff happening in the NFL too. Isn't that crazy? Those these seasons happen at the same time.
0: It's so insane. So it's like fun. It's, it's like it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's also the most wonderful time to drink beer, but that's a very separate discussion. And it (laughs) rhymes, so it counts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to start us off with our NFL game to watch? I'll do it, because I'm taking the
0: earliest one, not counting our Thursday night game. Tug, how's that looking right now, by the way? Uh, Um,
2: Last I checked, uh, yeah, it's still 28-14 Tampa Bay here. Gross.
0: All so my game is actually going to be the London game, not because I t- expect it to be a great game, uh, but because when I was looking for players to watch, actually, I was between Trevor Lawrence and then breaking our rule, which we all do at least once a year, and taking the whole Dolphins secondary, because I think that's really where this game is going to be won. Uh, is Trevor Lawrence going to throw a bunch of picks, and will the Dolphins, for that matter, get back on the train of you know their turnover streak that was broken last week against the Bucks. And it, it's it, it's a tough draw for Trevor Lawrence still. Even even with uh Miami struggling a little bit on defense last week, I do still think that defense has a lot to offer. James Robinson probably will have a good game as well against the run defense of Miami. But then you throw in that Miami is getting to a tongue of Iloa back. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be a great game, but ultimately the top two guys, guy in squad I wanted to watch was this Dolphins secondary and Trevor Lawrence. So I said, screw it, I'll just take it as my game and find another player to watch. Valid.
2: I I hate you. I I hate you because I just saw who your player to watch is, and I hate you.
1: (laughs) I just want to throw in there before we move on from this game, because I know you're dying to move on from this game, Tug that I think even Travis Etienne could set some NFL rushing records this week against this Jesus. Miami Rock defense.
0: <laughs> and he's Travis Etienne for the in, his, in his current state is what you really mean to say. Because a healthy Travis Etienne absolutely would. Travis Etienne from
1: the hospital bed sets some NFL rushing records. <laughs> With the boot on his foot. <laughs> That'd be good to see. I would enjoy that immensely. Anyway... Um, I'm going Raiders-Broncos. Why I've picked back-to-back Broncos games, I don't know. At the same time, it's the Raiders, and they have all this crazy stuff going on. It should be
0: re- really, really interesting. Are the Raiders our new dumpster fire team? Like, are we taking that away from the Texans? Like, what's going on here?
2: N- no, the Raiders are just have a lot of distractions going on.
0: I think it's more about,
1: you know... Gruden Grinder has a whole new meaning. And <sighs> oh no.
3: <laughs>
1: and we just want to monitor the situation for a little bit.
0: That's all. God damn it.
1: <laughs> but the Raiders certainly have the talent to beat the Broncos. Will they actually do it with all these distractions going on? Teddy Bridgewater's coming back too, which I love because Teddy B is my guy. Always been my favorite UFL quarterback, even though Lamar Jackson, I've defended him against Tug's ruthless assaults several times. Um, <laughs> man, I, I love the story of the Broncos this year because of Teddy Bridgewater. Seeing them have a winning record feels next to impossible at this point in the season. So that's cool. The Raiders should win this game. They are probably the more talented team. I don't know if they will, though, and the game is in Denver, so it should be pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, I agree with all of that, and I'm going to apologize again because I don't think this is going to be a good game, but I think the storyline is going to be interesting. (laughs) Uh, The Lions are the only team to lose two games in a single season on field goals of 50-plus yards with no time left on the clock. So I'm taking the Bengals at the Lions. Uh, there's honestly no reason this should be a good game other than the fact that the Lions find a way to keep every game they play close and then end up losing 19-17 to 17 consistently at this point. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm looking for it to be another close one-score game, maybe another field goal game. That'd be hilarious. I enjoy everything about that. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe the Bengals do blow it out. Or maybe Detroit finally pulls one off. Guess we'll find out. Maybe Dan Dan Campbell will be crying next week.
1: Is Joe Burrow's throat going to be good to go for this game?
2: Uh, yeah, my would
1: say
0: yes. I think it was at practice today
1: on Thursday. He, he is the throat coat, so <laughs> he's oh, be ready to he's oh, be ready no. to suck all the yards out of this one.
2: <laughs> God damn it!
1: Let's make our picks. Who wants to go first? Me, me, me,, miney Me, I guess. So Go I'm going with I'm going with the Dolphins because Urban Meyer can choke on a sausage. Um going with the <laughs> I'm going with the Raiders because why not? I think that would be hilarious partially. And I'm going with the Lions because that would also be hilarious. I'm also going with the controversial picks because I'm so far behind you, Bug, that I need to catch up. So if any of these games hit, I'm going to feel like a genius, and I will actually make up some ground. At the same time, I know <laughs> this is a Hail Mary move, and I'm probably going to lose this season on their NFL picks.
0: There is a lot of season left. You throwing the towel in like this already is, is not <laughs> It's not what I'd be doing, but I'm not going to stop you either. I mean, you know what?
1: If I go 3-0 this weekend...
2: I don't even this, know is, what's happen. this is about <laughs> as smart as uh, Presbyterian going for it on fourth down you know, on their own seven. This is so about that's... as
1: smart as Urban Meyer going to his own bar after losing to the Bengals.
3: <laughs> also mm. valid.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so I'll go next. I'm gonna take Jacksonville. I do think that the matchup favors them. Trevor Lawrence, if he can keep it together and minimize the turnovers, I think Miami probably will get at least one, if not two, interceptions. If he can keep it below three, I think the Jaguars have a good chance to get their first one of the season. I'd like to see that, especially since London's probably going to be their new home here soon. Maybe. I don't know. Next, I'm going to take the Broncos. Man, I think the Raiders are more talented, but I think Teddy Bridgewater playing in Denver. I think the Broncos are going to win this one, and it's going to be their chance to really show that they're better than just beating up on bad teams. Right now, though, Raiders very well could be a bad team. I mean, you're going to have your special teams coordinator as your acting head coach. It's rough for the Raiders right now. I I could see the Raiders winning too, but I'm going to take the Broncos. I'm going to take the Bengals against the Lions because the Lions are not a good team, and the Bengals are. Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, that connection is already picking up where they left off in college, even if in the preseason we're all like, oh, man, Jamar Chase can't catch the ball. Well, guess what? He can now, and the Lions aren't ready for it. I don't think the Lions are going to be able to do much to slow that down. I've got to take the Bengals here.
2: So I'm looking at this, and – I'm going to clean up the easy ones. I think the Raiders have too much distractions going on. They're going on the road. First game for uh, Rich um uh, <laughs> as head coach. i got to favor the Broncos here. Uh, there, there's no reason not to. There's just too many distractions with the Raiders. Head coaching change never goes well that first week. I'm going with the Bengals for much of the same reasons. I think it is going to be kept a close game because the Lions do tend to do that where they keep these games close that have no business being close. So I'm going to take the Bengals in a close one, and then I get to the London game. And this one is really hard for me to pick, because when you look at the whole situation, you look at the defenses Miami's played: New England, Buffalo, uh, Vegas, the Colts and the uh, the Bucks. When you look at that, four of those five teams have some top defenses out there. The Bucks have the top rush defense in the NFL. The Patriots have one of the top overall defenses in the NFL, and the Bills are bringing pressure and stopping teams like the Chiefs right now. I can't fault Miami against that type of schedule. The Colts was a bad game. We need to fix that. The the issue is our offense, but for, you know, four and three quarters of those weeks, we did not have Tua Tunga-Vailoa. That is a big deal coming into this game. More importantly, I'm going to get into this with our players to watch. Another thing to highlight there is Miami, I think, is finally starting to figure out their offensive line situation. It's not fantastic still, but they did play better last week against the Bucs pass rush to the point where they put up like 200 some odd yards through the air with Jacoby Brissett. You're right, Ben. The issue could be our defense against Trevor Lawrence. Uh, One thing to note there to kind of give you that heads up of, hey, that's a good pick. There's a good chunk of Miami's defensive secondary, that's playing through injuries. Xavier Howard's battling a groin injury right now. That's why AB made him look like a rookie last weekend. Uh, Byron Jones has been battling something all season. Miami still has its fair share of injuries on offense. You know, with Devontae Parker, Will Fuller still out, et cetera, et cetera. This really is a tough game to pick. So when I look at that and I look at the situation, I'm going to go with the better head coach here. And I think all three of us can unbiasedly agree that Brian Flores is a better head coach than Urban Meyer right now at the NFL level. I'm going to take Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins in this matchup.
1: Are we sure the Buccaneers have that good of a defense? They just (laughs) let the Eagles score.
0: To be fair, Miles Sanders did his best Derrick Henry impersonation on one of his runs on that drive (laughs) and absolutely baptized the Bucs defender. So Let's not, you know, say it's completely the Bucks defense just didn't show up here.
1: They also got the two point conversion, so it's twenty eight twenty two and the
0: but, Eagles are not a good offense. I think There's we all recent, no, no, no. I think we all owe Jalen Hurts an apology, is what we're really getting at here.
2: I, I mean, nah. <laughs> I will say <laughs> that I highlighted the Bucks rush defense as number one. I did not mention their pass defense, which is nearly. Jalen Hurts ran
0: it in. <laughs> and Miles Sanders ran all over the field. I know. We're just messing with you, it's, Tug. I know, it's, I know. This is just
2: the first week.
1: I know. Anyway. I put
2: some <laughs> genuine analysis into that, guys, okay? I hope you appreciate
1: you, it. You did. I'm just messing with you, so it's all good. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. We have a bonus game to watch. I had to I have to mess with you every time we talk about Miami. It's like my job I in life. Didn't
2: want to. I told I him know. not to
1: pick this. <laughs> I know, but we were talking about Miami. It's my job to mess with you. So, it's in my contract. <laughs> I need to see <laughs> a copy of
2: this contract.
0: Uh, I'll type it up. Hold on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, our, our bonus game is Arizona at Cleveland. I originally had this one picked, but like I said, my players to watch were really coming down to... A person in a group, so I you know I decided I'd take that as my game instead. Because this game has the potential to be great, awful, blowout, close, go through the list. It could be anything, right? Arizona has looked very vulnerable. Cleveland's looked very vulnerable. Arizona looked like the best team in 10 years when they played the Rams. And that Cleveland defense. Looked like the best defense ever when they played the Bears. There's so many ways this game could go. Look, That's
2: I know Jack- the the Browns' defense was the best in a hundred years when they played the Bears. Second best
0: this century. Er, in this century. I don't know. I don't. The, okay. The way enough. they worded all that shit was really confusing and annoying. The Bears suck that game. <laughs> I know That's- that Jacksonville, Miami is probably going to be a nasty, ugly game. So I went with it. I don't know what this one's going to be, but that's why it needs to be a bonus game.
1: The only reason I didn't pick Arizona Cleveland as my game to watch is because I didn't want to pick Cleveland two weeks in a row. I just. I picked Arizona
0: last week, too, I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah. So it's. So it's Tug's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Read the contract, man.
0: Anyway, (laughs) write it up first. (laughs) give me like 20 minutes when we get done recording here so we have we have some players
1: to watch Um, Tug you can start us off and I promise I won't mess with you for this
2: one cool alright guys here's the deal I have leveled with this the entire season Miami's offensive line uh, back to the trash not trash discussion is trash Uh, we've played with Five different offensive line combinations in five weeks. Real maker of a uh, successful season there. But one thing is held true in the three games that uh, this guy has started. Liam Liam Eikenberg, a rookie offensive tackle out of Notre Dame, playing for Miami. When he is on the field, Miami's offensive line plays significantly better. Tua Valo is coming back this week. He's going to need that protection. I foresee Liam Eikenberg Starting again this weekend, no reason to not think that's happening. He's gonna probably start at left tackle. Man, if he can get there and he can limit the jacks pass rush and you know get to us some time to get comfortable in that pocket, Miami's gonna be just fine and and that's gonna be the difference in this game. Uh, it's gonna be if Miami can finally perform on offense, and this is the game where they can finally come to and do that.
3: I like Liam Eikenberg, before the draft. And I agree, he's probably your best offensive
1: lineman. So, even as a rookie, the offensive line has been pretty brutally bad. Hopefully, Liam Eichenberg can fix that by himself somehow. I don't know how, but maybe. That'd be cool. So, my player to watch is on defense. I'm looking at Trayvon Diggs, cornerback out of the Dallas Cowboys. Rookie out of Alabama. Uh, You might remember the name Diggs because his brother, Stefan Diggs, is a pretty decent wide receiver. Um, Just decent, though. Just decent. Trayvon Diggs is a pretty decent cornerback, if I do say so myself, leading the NFL in interceptions so far. And I don't know how much that's really going to keep up because at some point teams are going to stop targeting him, right? But also... He's playing against Mac Jones this week. Uh, five touchdowns, five interceptions on the year is all he's got. So if they want to actually throw 20, 30 times in this game, which they'll probably have to to keep up with how explosive that Cowboys offense is, then Trayvon Diggs ought to have a couple of opportunities. I'm looking out for Trayvon Diggs. He's got my attention so far. Good job, Rob.
2: Before we get to Ben's player here, I do want to highlight one thing with Trayvon Diggs. Back when he was at Alabama, he actually cried when Nick Saban moved him to uh corner from wide receiver to the point where he called his brother, and said, Yo, what do I do? And his brother's like, dude, just stick it out and play and look where you're at now.
0: And he's caught more than just your eye, Doug. Everybody is talking about this kid right now. He's having an amazing start to his career. Absolutely. My player to watch is another rookie, and I was kind of in a bind when I decided I was going to take Miami-Jacksonville as my game to watch.
1: You could have picked
0: almost any other starter in the NFL. It would have been worthwhile. Here's here's my thing, though. Last year when the Bears had – I'm taking Kleel Herbert. <laughs> Last year when the Bears had issues with running back injuries, COVID out for running backs, all that, I took Ryan Nall knowing that he probably wasn't going to have any type of impact really on the game. Khalil Herbert will. Arguably could have been the main back over Damian Williams last week, and this week he's going to be the main back. I don't know what that means for Damian Williams when he comes back. I imagine he's probably going to be back next week anyway. But the sky's the limit for Khalil Herbert, in my opinion.
2: I don't want to talk about Chicago on the podcast anymore. (laughs) <laughs> okay. T- takes Chicago's running back as his player to watch. Honestly, I, I I like your analysis there. I think he can have a good week this week. It's just kind of a surprising pick for me, that's all. He
0: I mean, he was as explosive, if not more explosive, through the whole last week, uh when he was splitting carries with Williams. He's gonna be able to get the you know, run out and make some catches. I don't know. I think he's gonna have a good game. It's gonna be interesting to see. The Packers will look kind of questionable on defense this year, too. So anything really could happen. So, Tug, you were talking about how Trayvon Diggs had to stick it out and play
1: through that you know hard time. Well, let's talk about Khalil Herbert for a second. Four-year starter for Kansas at a, as running back. Nothing on the ground there for obvious reasons. Graduate transfer to Virginia Tech, 1,200 yards. He gets drafted in the NFL. Man, that is... That's a good story, because he did not play well at Kansas, and I don't think it was his fault.
2: The moral of the story here is if you play football, do not commit to Kansas. (laughs) I don't know
0: how they're able to field a football team with real D1 talent. Well, apparently they don't,
2: so... Because stop thinking it's real D1 talent, and that solves your problem. They get
1: one or two D1 guys a year, and other than that, it's uh, interesting. (laughs)
2: they get commits and doug our resident recruiter here goes who the hell is that (laughs) pretty much all right ladies and gentlemen that brings us to our favorite time of the show this this week it is time for bracket time and let me tell you we have a fun slate of heisman matchups here that i'm ready to get into you boys ready to get going Yes, sir. All right, guys. Our first matchup is Reggie Bush, the running back out of USC from 2005, taking on Pete Dawkins, the halfback out of Army in 1958. We got no love from Twitter on this. We got a 50 50 vote. Where are you guys going on this?
0: I'll take it here first. And we've talked about how the Heisman has sort of become a quarterback award. And I think nothing kind of highlights how much of a quarterback award it is more than Reggie Bush's win. Reggie Bush is obviously a running back, so what do I mean? He beat Vince Young, Matt Leiner, Brady Quinn, and Michael Robinson all that year. Sixth place was A.J. Hawk, linebacker, right? And then, of course, D'Angelo Williams was the only other running back. Ah, Jerome Harrison's on here, too. Point is... He was able to put up such crazy numbers that Vince Young, who had one of the best seasons and finishes to a college career ever, wasn't able to beat him. Brady Quinn, who had all kinds of hype around him just for being the Notre Dame quarterback, had a great year statistically as well. Actually, arguably better than Vince Young, right? Reggie Bush still did it out of the backfield. I don't care that it technically got stripped from him. That doesn't take anything away from it for me as far as going for Reggie Bush here, but I got to give it to Reggie Bush.
1: I agree. And part of that is that the Pete Dawkins story, it's almost more like our conversation last round was just about how Leon Hart played this Position that we don't even, it doesn't even exist anymore, right? What Pete Dawkins did was pave the way for halfback as we know it. That's great. Reggie Bush more than filled those shoes, right? Reggie Bush is one of the talents that we will remember for a very long time. I don't care if he's out of the record books officially or, or what. If he ever gets reinstated, I don't even care. Reggie Bush is an undeniable talent. He deserves to move on.
2: I will say I, I'm going to agree with you guys with Reggie Bush here. Uh, the only comment I'm going to make is, Ben, you're right. At this stage in the bracket, being uh, vacated, having that Heisman Trophy vacated doesn't hurt him yet, but I think as we get deeper in the bracket and we start looking for those differences and those those markers, that, that might have an effect later in the bracket, at least for me, if we get into another tie vote.
1: I mean, I won't let it affect how I vote. Reggie Bush still matters to me. Reggie right. Bush lives matter.
2: All right, that moves, that, Bush. that moves Reggie Bush on, who will take on the winner of our next matchup. We have RG3, the quarterback out of Baylor from 2011, taking on Chris Weinke, the quarterback out of Florida State in 2000. Twitter went 100% with... With uh, RG3, what do you guys say? I say it's Chris Wanky,
0: not Wanky. <laughs> but cool. I uh, I do completely agree. I don't think there's been anybody to come out of college that people have wanted to see succeed more at the next level than Robert Griffin III. And it's because he was such an electric player in college at Baylor, particularly in his Heisman winning season here. I. Man, this one's pretty cut and dry for me as well. I'm going with RG3.
3: Yeah,
1: it's interesting to me that passing-wise, they're actually pretty similar quarterbacks in their Heisman winning seasons. RG3 added several elements, though, right? It wasn't just that he was able to run effectively. It was just the energy that he brought to the team and the leadership that he brought to that Baylor team that really made it something else. I know that Chris Winkie was, he was fine, right? Florida State was pretty good in those those years with him at quarterback. At the same time, that Baylor team felt like something special because of our G3. And that's certainly enough for me to move him on.
0: I think the other thing I want to add is that frog-looking motherfucker Josh Heupel was second place to Chris Winkie. And that just really brings him down a shit ton for me.
2: That He's means the only Reggie... 10, I don't see. <laughs> that means RG three will take on Reggie Bush in the next round. Oof. Moving on to our next matchup, we have Tony Dorsett running back out of Pittsburgh in nineteen seventy six, taking on Paul Horning, the quarterback out of Notre Dame in nineteen fifty six. Guys, again, no love on Twitter. It's an even vote. What are you guys thinking?
0: Sheesh. What
1: a matchup.
0: <laughs> I think I hate Twitter right now. <laughs>
1: I know. Give us something. You gotta vote on our polls at BDT Football on Twitter, please. I beg of you. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start, honestly.
3: Uh, I well, think... I
1: guess I guess I'll start off by saying, uh, twenty one hundred yards in twelve games is just asinine. Who would ever even? Begin to try to expect that out of a running back. Tony Dorsett did it at Pitt. He made Pitt relevant. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Next person to do that was Larry Fitzgerald. (laughs) Right. Paul Horning is a legend. The name alone carries a lot of weight for very good reason. His season was just unreal for the era Oh man. Do, do we have to start? So here's kind of what I'm thinking. I don't
0: know. But here's kind of what I'm thinking though. Right. We already talked about how Pete Dawkins kind of set the table for what to expect out of a running back and Reggie Bush raised the bar. Mm -hmm. I think Tony Dorsett kind of did that to what Paul Horning brought to the game. I know they played a little bit different position. Paul Horning kind of played everywhere. Tony Dorsett was pretty strictly a running back.
3: But man, I, I I think I'm leaning more towards Tony Dorsett right now.
1: See, I can understand that. A big part of that too is that Paul Horning, while not playing the traditional quarterback role that we think of today, he did throw three touchdowns, thirteen interceptions. Right? I mean, that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. At the same yeah. time it was nineteen fifty six and it didn't playing quarterback didn't mean the same thing then as it does now. Tony Dorsett's 2100 yards though. It's hard to get over. And he added some receiving yards to that too. This dude scored a ton of touchdowns. Just an unbelievable player. Uh, I I want to look at who they beat for the Heisman trophy.
3: I don't know If uh, if that's really going
0: to change anything, but... Tony Dorsett beat Ricky Bell, Rob Little, Terry Miller, Tommy Kramer, Gifford Nelson, Ray Goff, Mike Vaught, John Roth, and Jeff Dankworth. That's a fantastic fucking name right there. All
2: right, I'm looking at it. All morning
3: beat out Jim Brown, Ron Kramer. Jim Parker, golly,
1: Tommy McDonald, Johnny Majors. I mean, these are some legendary names right here. Jerry Tubbs and Jim Thank Parker, you. two offensive linemen. <clears throat> I respect that list a lot at the same time. I Like I said, I don't know how much weight that was really going to have for me. I do feel like Tony Dorsett is probably the better player. Yeah, trying to take nineteen fifty six into account, even still, I, I I feel like Tony Dorsett's
3: season was more impressive. I and that that's really where I'm at too. I guess right, we're so that. I guess yeah. I guess we're moving on
1: Tony Dorsett.
2: So Tony Tony Dorsett moves on, taking on the winner of our next matchup. We have Johnny Manziel, quarterback out of Texas A&M in 2012. Mr. Johnny Football himself going against Ernie Davis, the halfback, lineback, fullback out of Syracuse in 1961. Guys, I don't know about this Twitter vote here. They took Johnny Manziel with 100%. Jeez.
0: I don't know that Johnny Manziel deserves hundred percent. I think that's definitely just recency bias there. Ernie Davis does de- definitely have the name that should have helped him out a little bit more, at least gotten him one vote. Right. Uh, but I, I do say, I think I agree with Twitter in the sense that I would take Johnny Manziel. And there's definitely some bias here that for one, that Alabama game, I remember very vividly for multiple reasons. And it definitely got me watching Texas A and m and watching specifically Johnny Football. man, he he definitely won the Heisman in that Alabama game, especially yeah. on a couple one play in particular where he fumbled the ball five feet up in the air to himself, spun around, and threw a touchdown pass on it still. Just some of the crazy stuff he was able to do, and he did that all season too. Right, just on no bigger stage than against Alabama at that point. Absolutely electric to watch. I'm sure Ernie Davis was as well. I just wasn't alive in 1961, and I fully admit that that is playing a little bit into my vote here. But, man, I I can't think of a college football player, Heisman winner or not, that I've enjoyed watching play college football more than Johnny Manzo. I have heard it said before,
1: that Ernie Davis winning the Heisman Trophy was like a a makeup vote for them missing on Jim Brown just because Jim Brown was black. I disagree with that take because Ernie Davis was a hell of a player in his own right. He played both sides of the ball and he played him at a very high level. And you want to talk about people who who beat out for the Heisman Trophy. We're looking at some. NFL legends here, Roman Gabriel, John Hadle, Merlin Olson, right? These are old school names, I realize. At the same time, these are guys that just shaped the NFL as we know it. I mean, he beat out Bob Ferguson, Ohio State running back, who everyone forgets about because Ernie Davis was so good, he made people forget about him. The Ernie Davis story is truly incredible. If you don't know it, I implore you to look it up on your own time. But I just – I get what you're saying. I just can't let Johnny Manziel
0: win by 100% across the board. Hey, and I'm glad you didn't because as as much as I like Johnny Manziel, as much as I enjoyed watching Johnny Manziel – he absolutely does not deserve to be Ernie Davis with a unanimous vote.
2: I do got to say, looking at the 2012 Heisman voting, um, this might have been one of the weakest Heisman classes I've seen. Johnny Manziel beat out uh, in second place Monte Teo. Um, Colin Klein out of Kansas State. Marquise Lee out of USC. Braxton Miller out of Ohio State. And then the only guy who I really think has been successful. Our first guy that's been successful is J.D. Don Clowney and then Tavon Austin later down the list. But that doesn't matter. You guys have wow. voted on Johnny Manziel. That was a lot Can... of
1: disrespect to the college careers of Manti Teo, Mark
0: Eastley, and Braxton Miller. And Jordan Lynch. Uh, not to mention the disrespect of pronouncing Manti Teo's name. That was, <laughs> that when was he gets rough. A... His girlfriend's he... going to be really pissed at you.
2: I was just going to say, when he gets a girlfriend, I'll care. Brutal. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next matchup. We have Charlie Ward, the quarterback out of Florida State, taking on John Capaletti, running back out of Penn State. John Capaletti took the Twitter vote with 100%. Gentlemen, do you guys agree? Yes. <laughs> I uh-huh. Yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean, look, Charlie Ward beat out some great names here. Heath Shuler, David Palmer, Marshall Falk. Glenn Foley, Trent Dilfer, I mean,
3: but yeah, this this is still the era
1: when there was a stretch there where the Heisman Trophy just ended up going to the quarterback of the best team. Florida State won a lot of games. They gave the Heisman Trophy to that quarterback. Charlie Ward had a decent enough season to where he let Florida State win a bunch of games. Weird the weirdest thing is he was also their punter for his freshman season and then came in at quarterback and was pretty good his junior and senior seasons. That's pretty cool. At the same time, Cap'letty's better. And just his 1973 season was uh was very, very
0: good. It is disappointing. I can't find anything more exciting to say for the guy that won the Heisman the year I was born and Charlie Ward there. But but it's Charlie Ward. I mean,
1: who yeah. hasn't said anything exciting about the guy ever? Yeah, <laughs>
0: pretty, pretty much.
2: All right, guys, we have our last even vote on Twitter here coming up. We have Angelo Bertelli, quarterback at Notre Dame in 1943 taking on Frank Sinkwich, the halfback out of Georgia that won it the year before in 1942. What are you guys thinking?
1: This is probably the one that I most agree with being a
3: tie vote on Twitter. This is (laughs) going to be a tough one. This is very even. I'll tell you what, though.
0: Something that kind of elevates this one for me. And we we did this for Pete Dawkins, right? I'm going to give it to Frank Sinkwich because showing up in your Marine dress blues to accept the Heisman Trophy is such a power move. I love it. You look at the year he won, 1942, Man went and fought in World War II it's going to Frank Sinkwich that I, I have to put my vote there. Not even really looking at everything else, just looking at the kind of man this guy was. He absolutely got my vote.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Angelo Bertelli stayed at
1: Notre Dame and Frank Sinkwich left Georgia to go fight in World War II. Um, with with as even of stats as I believe that they have, as roughly even a performance in their Heisman winning seasons as they have, I can totally get behind that argument. And Frank Sinkwich,
3: what a dude. What a life.
0: Right? Doug, you got anything to add? Is there any reason we should give Angelo Bertelli a, another vote here?
2: No, guys, I fully agree. with. It's the same reason why I will keep voting to push on Johnny Lujak as long as I can. Uh, (laughs) Literally the same logic. Uh, So, yeah, I'm all down with that. Honestly, one thing to consider, too, is uh, I believe in 1943 would have been when Johnny Luziak left Notre Dame. So the only reason that Angelo Bertelli was playing in 1943 is because his counterpart went overseas to serve in uh, World War II. So it's only fitting that. It's only even more fitting that we push on Frank Sinkwich to take on John Capoletti in the next round.
0: Sinkwich is just a fantastic name.
2: If only it was Sinkship, then him being in the Marines and Navy would have made so much more sense. Fair. All right, guys, moving on to our next matchup. Uh, We were just singing the praises of Lamar Jackson, quarterback out of Louisville, in 2016. Lammer, And he is taking on Carson Palmer, the quarterback out of USC in 2002. I think Twitter got this one right, guys. Went with uh, Lamar Jackson. What do you guys think? I think uh, Carson
0: Palmer beat Lamar Jackson by about 400 passing yards. Uh, But then Lamar beat him by probably 1,300, 1,400 rushing yards. (laughs) Right. And uh, they had the same number of INTs, and uh, Lamar Jackson had 11 more total touchdowns. I don't think this one's even close. I think Twitter absolutely is correct here. This is a clean sweep. Lamar Jackson winning in this one. Um, how many games
1: did Lamar Jackson play in 2016? 13? Should be. Yeah, that I sounds will say. right. I will say that Lamar Jackson played 13 more exciting games than Carson Palmer has ever played in his life during that (laughs) Heisman-winning season. (laughs) Brutal. Fair enough.
2: (laughs) All right, that brings us to our final matchup. We have Tom Harmon, the quarterback, or the halfback, wow, halfback out of Michigan in 1940, taking on the most recent Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, wide receiver out out of Alabama in 2020. Guys, Devontae Smith took this 100% of the vote. Is this only recency bias?
3: Yes, it is recency bias. Is it wrong,
0: though? That's what I'm trying to decide,
2: too.
1: I do believe that Tom Harmon is an incredible football player. I also believe that Devontae Smith would not have had the stats that he had if it were not for an injury to his fellow Alabama receiver. (laughs) Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle was the better receiver on that team, but he was hurt. So, at the same time, that doesn't take away from his 1,856 yards and 24 touchdowns. Like, that's really
3: good. At the same time, Tom Harmon being able to run for
1: a thousand yards and still pass for 500 yards, and uh, or more than that, 1500 yards. I mean, that's that's really impressive, especially when we're talking about 1940.
0: And Tom Harmon also won the Maxwell Award in 1940. He was the AP Athlete of the Year, Big Ten Most Valuable Player of the Year, and All-American, first team All-Big Ten. He got his number 98 retired by the Michigan Wolverines. He's in the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame as well as the College Football Hall of Fame. Obviously, some of these things are a little unfair because – You know, Devontae Smith just graduated last year or just, you know, moved up to the NFL this year, however you want to look at it. Some of it, you know, probably take out the Hall of Fame stuff. Let's not factor that in too much, especially in this matchup. But man, it's, uh, I don't want to say that Tom Harmon deserves to get swept here. I think I kind of want to go with Harmon, honestly.
1: If we're going to take the Maxwell into consideration, Devontae Smith did also win the Maxwell. He did also win the Walter Camp Player of the Year. They were both consensus (sighs) All-Americans. To me, what Tom Harmon did in eight games is equally impressive to what Devontae Smith was able to do in thirteen.
2: Does it change your mindset if I told you Devontae Smith played 15? I mean, same deal. I, I'm i just bringing that up because Lamar Jackson played 13 games because Louisville didn't make the ACC championship game and then they had the bowl game. Right. Devontae Smith You're had right. – Yep. Just, You're right. Just clarifying.
0: Here, Here's the tough thing, though, because when Devontae Smith won – and Lamar Jackson, for that matter, bowl game stats weren't included in that. And oh, by the way, Devontae Smith technically played in two two bowl games, so really he only you know there's only twelve games worth of stats that are fact that factored into his Heisman voting here, which really does make things a little more difficult with how we've got everything laid out. Not Gosh. to say that I think it's unfair because he still put those stats up in his Heisman season. Um, mm. It was definitely something I hadn't thought about until just now <laughs> as we're going through
2: this. All right, guys, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to say I don't think the arguments have been made to sway me, uh, which would be required to upset the Twitter vote. So I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Ben, what are you thinking here? Final decision.
0: I mean, I I am fine with Devontae Smith moving on ultimately, uh, but – I still think Tom Harmon, I think Tom Harmon was, had just as good of a season and in an era where, you know, fewer games guy was playing with a leather helmet for Christ's sake. Right. So yeah, I give, I give Tom Harmon just a little bit of an edge.
2: And Doug, what, what's your final decision? What are you thinking here?
1: After Tom Harmon won the Heisman Trophy, he turned down the opportunity to play for the Chicago Bears, being selected number one overall by the Chicago Bears in 1941 to go pilot some aircraft in the U.S. Army Air Forces. In April of 1943, he was the sole survivor of a crash of a bomber that he was the pilot of coming out of South America en route to North Africa. And six months later, in a P-38 Lightning, he was shot down in a dogfight against some Japanese Zeros in China. He then came back and had an NFL career with the Los Angeles Rams. (laughs) This dude was a beast and a half.
2: (laughs) And I'm voting for Tom Harmon. You you may have just swayed me there. I'm not even going to lie.
1: He then I... had the longest run from scrimmage in the 1946 NFL season of any player and went on to pursue a career in sports
2: broadcasting.
0: I am legitimately a... surprised that you didn't know that Tom Harmon served in the Air
2: Force, Tug. Because he didn't. He served in the Army Air Force. Is totally different. <laughs> it's, it's, look, it's the same thing. No, no, that's before I care about Air Force history.
1: Here's, here's one thing that may help sway you even more. Tom Harmon is one of about two people that I can think of in the world that will make me stop and say, that is a Michigan man.
0: (laughs) If that doesn't sway you, then I I don't know what will.
2: I mean, I don't quite know what that means. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) We'll leave that up to the imagination, but yeah. You guys have done it. Guys, I'm going to move on. Tom Harmon here. Uh, Twitter, I am sorry. We think you got this one wrong, being blinded by the uh, the recency bias here. Uh, this is not the first time we've had an upset of the most recent uh, selectee for either first overall or for Heisman uh, in our bracket time, so this should not surprise you. That being said, our matchups are set for the next time we visit this section of the bracket. We have Reggie Bush taking on RG three Tony Dorsett taking on Johnny Manziel, John Capaletti taking on Frank Sinkwich, Lamar Jackson taking on Tom Harmon. Guys, I'm excited to get back into this All American version of our bracket here. I'm about to call this the uh, All American Division. I don't know. Johnny Manziel's in it. Can we really call That's that? That's true. That's
1: true. <laughs> All American
0: part Colombian. <laughs>
1: At the same time, this, if you aren't convinced by the first matchup that Tug said there, Reggie Bush, RG3, this is already coming down to some insane matchups that should not exist. They have no right to be this good this early in bracket time. We have plenty more to go. Make sure you're voting on the Twitter polls. Man it's going to help us a lot because we're certainly going to need help. comes down to Reggie Bush and RG three in only the third round. So stay tuned folks. We got plenty more Heisman bracket to come your way. Wow. What a great podcast. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that back. (laughs) I had a great time back with you guys. I missed this immensely at the same time I did You know, have a pretty good meal Monday night that I couldn't miss. That was also four hours away from where I record this podcast. So, you know what? Monday needed to happen. It's Thursday now, and I am back in action better than ever with a great,
3: great episode of the podcast. Love to hear it, man.
0: You know, I talked a little bit earlier this week about uh, Alex Fleming, and I just want to take a second to uh, say again, you know, talk a little bit about the kind of man he was earlier. And we did not do a NFL Carousel episode this week. However, Eric Wilson got on, recorded a little video in tribute to Alex, and you can find that on our facebook page i shared the video there bdt or facebook.com slash bdt football alex left behind a daughter that is kind of left having to you know deal with all these end-of-life costs and if you could there is a gofundme if you got some extra money to spare donate there it we would all really appreciate it um Man, this is tough. This is tough.
2: Hey, Ben, do you have the link for that GoFundMe? We can link that in the description with all of our other uh, links that I will go down here in a minute. Yeah, I'll I'll get
0: that link. We'll uh, make sure to have it in the description. We'll put it up on Twitter and on our Facebook as well. Um, yeah, just any, anything that you have, if you have it to help, uh, would absolutely uh, be
2: appreciated. All right, guys, as I already said, we have a bunch of other links. Obviously, the GoFundMe for Alex is probably going to be the most important this week. Uh, but we do have our Patreon, patreon.com slash Football, twitter.com slash Football, facebook.com slash Football, our website bdtfootball.com, and our email mailbox at bdtfootball.com.
0: Before we go, though yeah no. i can't i can't have a send on a luna like that
2: <laughs> you're, you're right
0: man that was oh, tough but you know
3: i heard a rumor about butter did you guys hear it
0: okay well you didn't don't worry about it i'm not gonna spread it
2: all right ladies and gentlemen that is all the time we have on this show thankfully we appreciate you listening and just remember you can't win a game
0: we successful